pregnancy, adultery, pie. These are the themes of the hit Sarah Bareilles musical Waitress, which we will be discussing today. I'm Julie Book. I'm Jenny Book Bradley. And this this is is the the Twins Twins on Tour podcast. podcast. So what made us want to do this podcast? We were always those obsessed theater kids in high school and middle school. Um, We threw Tony parties. We did throw Tony parties. Tony parties, we even reverted into Glee parties at one point, watching Glee with all of our theater friends every week. It was a dark time. It it really was in the the high school ages. Yes, the high school dark ages. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so we've always just been really interested in musicals and Broadway. And so we thought there wouldn't be a better way to kind of share what's going on in the Broadway scene in the Cleveland and Akron area than doing this podcast. So yeah, for those of you who don't know, um, Cleveland is home to Playhouse Square. Yes. It's right in downtown Cleveland. It's actually the second largest United Theater District in the entire country, right after Broadway. Take that, LA. Yeah, exactly. And people don't expect it, especially in Cleveland, because we're a little bit of the smaller of the big cities when you think of it. Like, we have the professional sports teams, RIP, any chance the Cavs ever had after LeBron left. Yeah, but... Mike Polk Jr. once said, our economy's based on LeBron James. It really is, though, so. but... As he also said, we're not Detroit. We're not so. Detroit, so haha. <laughs> it's it's gonna be a cool experience to at least try to share the theater scene going on in Cleveland with people who may not know much about it. Um, we also became season ticket holders to Playhouse Square and Broadway in Akron. We mainly got the tickets so we could see Hamilton. Yes. <laughs> in 2016 when it first came through Cleveland. But ever since then, we've seen every touring production that's come through North Northeast Ohio. So we thought. If we're going to be seeing all these shows, we might as well be doing something constructive with it, like reviewing them. So we're just going to dive right in. Um, Another big reason that we wanted to start this podcast was because during the pandemic, we didn't realize how much we actually appreciated and we kind of took for granted having Playhouse Square and Broadway and Akron. Yeah, having live theater accessible to us every month or so going to see a show. And we never realized how much we were going to miss it until it was taken away from us so suddenly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it hit pretty hard. The last show that we saw before the pandemic, we saw at Playhouse Square was Anastasia. Mm-hmm. That was January of 2020. Yep. So the first show that we saw back was Waitress at EJ Thomas in Akron on October 9th of 2021. So that that was full year and, you know, some change months. Yeah. Of over eight, about 18 months. Yeah. Of not having Broadway. So as you can tell, we're pretty excited to be talking about it. Yeah. Um, This season on the show, we're going to be covering five shows, six shows up at Playhouse Square. Yeah. And four shows at Akron. Coming this season, we're going to talk about Waitress today. We're going to talk about The Prom. That's coming in November to Playhouse Square. Anastasia is going to be there at the beginning of December in Akron. We're going to Wicked at the end of December at Playhouse Square. We're going to Jesus Christ Superstar, which was, we were supposed to go see that, like, literally the week the pandemic hit. The week hit. everything like, in Ohio shut down, we're, we were supposed to see Jesus Christ Superstar. We're going to see Pretty Woman at the around the end of March as well. Hairspray is coming to Broadway in Akron to E.J. Thomas in April. That's exciting. To Kill a Mockingbird is going to be at Playhouse Square in May, and that will actually be the only play that we're covering this season on, Twins, uh, the Twins on Tour. Yes, everything else will be musicals except for To Kill a Mockingbird. Tony Award winner, so you know, mm-hmm. pretty excited to cover a play. At EJ Thomas in May as well, there's going to be Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the tour. In June at Playhouse Square, there's going to be My Fair Lady, another one that was oh, I just... I forgot about My yeah. Fair Lady. That was from the 2020 season at Playhouse Square along with Jesus Christ Superstar. Mm-hmm. So those ones were delayed significantly yes. because of the pandemic. In July, we're going to be going to see Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptations. With our dad, who might be the biggest Temptations fan 
in the world. Exactly. And then to wrap this season up, in September, we're going to see Disney's Frozen at Playhouse Square. Featuring the song our mom hates most of all in the world. Let, Let it go. go. <laughs> all right, so let's jump right in to covering Waitress, which, like Jenny said, we saw on October 9th at E.J. Thomas Hall in Akron, Ohio. For those of you who don't know anything about Waitress, it has music and lyrics by pop star Sarah Bareilles, if you've heard Love Song. Brave. Brave. Um, book by Jesse Nelson, who we'll talk about a little bit more in a bit. It's based on the 2007 film of, called Waitress, same name. One thing that's special about Waitress that a lot of people on Broadway appreciate is that it's an all-female production team yes. that brought this to Broadway. So that's a really big thing. It was produced by Barry and Fran Weisler. They bought the rights to it in 2007 after seeing the movie and seeing the musical potential that the movie had. And they actually had two failed attempts at bringing together a team to bring this to Broadway. And they found Diane Paulus, who the Weislers had worked with on the Tony Award revival of Pippin. Diane is currently the artistic director of the American Repertory Theater, which is located at Harvard University. Prestigious. I know. Like, okay, get it, girl. Um, Paulus wanted to take a new direction for the musical, something that she described as more delicate than other shows. She was seeing a lot of trends of big, flashy musicals and wanted something that was just a little bit more closer to home. So she put together a list of songwriters who hadn't previously written for musical theater, and the top of her list was, as we said, Sarah Bareilles, who is actually an avid musical theater fan. If any of you watched the Tonys, what was that, in 2018 or yeah, 2019? Yeah, her, her and Josh Groban, Her yeah. and Josh Groban co-hosted they the Tonys. They were phenomenal. They were really good. You can just tell they're theater kids at heart, too. So that, that was something that was nice. You could tell, like, oh, it's like one of us on the stage that they're huge celebrities, but you know. Yeah. Warm and fuzzy feeling still. The first song that Sarah actually wrote for the musical was the Act Two Ballad, She Used to Be Mine, which if you watched the Tony Awards in 2016, Jesse Mueller absolutely Queen. slayed. Oh, for sure. And like, that was the first song she wrote for the musical, which I think amazing. is awesome. So after identifying with Jenna's story, she watched the movie. She recognized that it's actually about a woman seeking to feel like she's worthwhile in the world, which I feel every, at least millennial, has had that talk with oh, themselves late at night while scrolling TikTok. Looking in the mirror like, who am I? <laughs> <laughs> in June of 2013, the Weislers announced that the book for Waitress would be from Pulitzer Prize winning play playwright Paula Vogel, most recently known for her play Indecent on Broadway. However, in January of 2014, it was announced that Paula had left the production due to scheduling conflicts. And Jessie Nelson, who is known for her 2002 movie I Am Sam, came on as the new book writer for the show. The show eventually opened in August of 2015 at the American Repertory Theater, and it ran through September of that year. A Broadway run at the Brooks Atkinson Theater was announced in 2016, and the show underwent several key changes from the American Repertory run, including the adding of the new dream sequences where Jenna's making the different kinds of pie, a new set, choreography from Lauren Latrino, script changes, and the switching of door number three for a new song, What Baking Can Do. The show officially began running pre Reviews at the Brooke Atkinson Theater in New York City on March 25th, 2016, and officially opened on Broadway on April 24th of that year. The show closed on January 5th, 2020, after playing 33 preview performances and 1,544 regular performances. However, on July 7th of 2021, it was announced that the show would make a limited comeback on Broadway, this time at the Barrymore Theater, 
from September 2nd, 2021 through January 9th of 2022. Sarah Bareilles herself reprised her turn as Jenna in the musical. It was one of the first musicals to reopen after the pandemic and the video of opening night at Curtain Call when they were doing the turn off your cell phone thing, it went pretty viral on TikTok and on theater Twitter. Like we said, it opened in 2016, so the Tony Awards that year were absolutely dominated by one show and one show only. Hamilton. Shakespeare himself could have been at that Tony's and he still would have lost. Would have lost to Hamilton. The show was nominated, however, for several Tonys, including Best Musical, Best Original Score, Jesse Mueller was nominated for Best Leading Actress in a Musical, and Christopher Fitzgerald was nominated for Best Featured Actor in a Musical. I think we can both agree that their best chance of beating Hamilton definitely would have been Jesse Mueller as Jenna. Yeah. Um, anyone who saw her performance of She Used to Be Mine at the Tonys was like, wow. Yeah, exactly. She was amazing. She really is. So that's just a little bit of background on the show. A little bit of background on the place where we saw the show. It's E.J. Thomas Hall in Akron. Jenny, if you want to yeah. know a little bit about it. So it opened on the University of Akron's campus in October of 1973. One thing that's unique about it, it has three tiers to it, but the top tier, the third tier, the ceiling can actually go up and down with a pulley system. And it opens up a shell. So either, you know, the third is the third tier is covered and you get better acoustics or it's open for more seating. And it still has great acoustics. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. But the pulley system's cool. It kind of looks like little, almost like wind chimes almost. Yeah. If you're walking through the Goodrich lobby at EJ Thomas, you'll see it's just these giant metal cylinders. And you're like, wow, why are these so low? It's because the third balcony is open, which means it's pretty much a full performance. Yeah. You can almost reach up and touch them too, but I, I would be too afraid to. I'd be like, oh gosh, I'm going to touch it and bring down the house. And the ceiling will literally (laughs) fall on people. So in 2015, the university had announced the closure of E.J. Thomas due to budget cuts. I don't, anyone who knows the University of Akron knows they've been going through some inner turmoil the past couple of years, including our own alumna, Julie Book, right here. Yeah, they tried (laughs) to build a football stadium to rival that of Ohio State, which I think anyone with access to ESPN knows that Akron's football team is not as good as Ohio State's. So they built a giant stadium, which put them massively into debt, which meant that they had to start closing buildings, one of which was going to be the E.J. Thomas Center. But play Playhouse Square in Cleveland stepped in and the Akron Civic Theater, Playhouse Square already does productions with Akron Civic. So they stepped in knowing what the hall meant to people in Akron and the Broadway and Akron program. EJ Thomas is the biggest house that can hold that type of show Mm -hmm. in the Akron area. So they teamed up with the university to save EJ Thomas Hall. It makes it a lot easier though. You don't have to go through the university to purchase tickets or anything anymore. You can actually just go to the Playhouse Square website. And if you wanted to see a show, you just go to Akron instead of Cleveland. So the nice thing about this partnership is that if a show can't come and stay for a couple of weeks, they only have, you know, maybe two days in between a run or whatever, they can come down to Akron. They come from, send them down from Cleveland to Akron. So they can at least have the show in the area and we get to experience it. Yeah, because Waitress was in between its opening run and they had a weekend in between the opening run and when they had to be into their next show. So Broadway and Akron was like, yes, come to Akron for two days. Yes. (laughs) So for those of you who haven't seen Waitress, it centers on a woman named Jenna who works in a diner. She's very skilled at baking pies and that's kind of her thing at the diner. Every day she has a new pie. She bakes 27 pies every morning she talks about during the show. She's very skilled at that, but her, I guess antagonistic thing in her life is she's trapped in this terrible marriage to this guy named Earl that she married very young after her parents kind of went away. Her mother was abused by her father. And so Jenna's kind of falling into that same cycle again. Yeah. And she finds out very early in the show that she's pregnant. 
So that kind of throws another wrench in, you know, her dreams and what she wants to do with her life. She never wanted to be a mother. She doesn't want to bring a child into the world, especially with her crappy husband, Earl. Yeah. So she ends up finding out about a baking competition and she says, I'm going to use this money to escape my life and my husband. And then she falls in love with her gynecologist. Yes, Dr. Pometer. <laughs> yeah, it sounds with that description, a pregnant lady falls in love with her gynecologist sounds like a bad Hallmark movie, but it's not. <laughs> it's a very good musical. Um, this is not our first time seeing Waitress. We actually, it was our very first show that we saw as season ticket holders in Cleveland, but this is the first time we saw it at EJ Thomas in Akron. And it's a different cast than the one that we had previously seen as well. The cast in Cleveland we saw was led by Desi Oakley, who some of you know from Wicked, but it was led by a pretty young cast, I will say. Very uh, young. Jenna was played by Giselle Soleil Aeon. Probably the biggest celebrity person in the show that we'll touch on was Richard Coleman, who played Cal, the cook at the diner. And he appeared in Pitch Perfect. Yeah, if any of you have seen Pitch Perfect obsessively or are theater kids who also liked Glee, <laughs> so like us. us. <laughs> yeah, basically, if you saw it six times in theaters with me and Jen. Um, and during the audition scene, there's the guy who's singing Since You've Been Gone in a very operatic style. That's Richard Coleman. Yeah, so it was kind of a treat to see him because we saw his we saw his headshot. And we're like, he looks really familiar. We read his bio in the playbill and we saw Pitch Perfect and we immediately knew it was that guy. Mm -hmm. Getting into the show a little bit, one thing that we had talked about was that the production team of Waitress didn't want the big flashy musical that was kind of the style in the early, I guess, 2010s. Yeah, the set is very simple. It goes back and forth, somewhat big set pieces, um, a lot of movement with Pyrax mm -hmm. to separate her from being front of diner to back of diner. The band is actually housed on stage during this in musical. In the corner of the diner, In yeah. the corner of the diner. So they'll participate with the band a little bit. You'll see them put pies out on the piano. Mm-hmm. Which is really good at times, but also caused one of the biggest problems we had with seeing the musical this time is that the band was so loud. It was very difficult to hear the actors sometimes when the band was really into it. Phenomenal band, but yes, they very were very talented. loud. I don't know if maybe it was just, you know, an issue that maybe EJ Thomas presented that was different from Playhouse Square or not. Yeah, the because acoustics when, may have been, just been phenomenal because it's EJ Thomas. Yeah, when we saw the show in Cleveland, it wasn't an issue with being able to understand the actors volume-wise versus the band. It seemed to be a little bit more of an issue this time. I don't know if it's because the stage at EJ Thomas is a little bit smaller than one of the houses at Playhouse Square or, like we said, if the band was just really into it that night. Which is great. was playing yeah. a little louder. So that kind of brings a front another probably issue quote quote that we had with the show this time. It was hard to understand the actors with just the music, but also they really leaned into the Southern accent. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, Waitress is set somewhere in the South. I'm not sure. They never if specify where. Specified in the show, but they really leaned into the accents a little bit more this time than I think the first time we saw it, which did present with a couple issues. Becky was played by... Kennedy Salters, who I think had one of the best voices in the show. Mm -hmm. Her number was a showstopper, but the entire second verse, I couldn't understand what she was saying because of the accent. Yeah. She sounded phenomenal. I mean, she almost got a standing ovation after her song, but we had problems up in the balcony understanding what she was saying. It just sounded really good, though. And it was the same thing with Brian Lundy, who played nerdy love interest Ogie. It's Dawn's love interest in the show. Never Getting Rid of Me is one of the best songs in the show. It's mm -hmm. a personal favorite of mine. But yeah, the Southern accent just made it really difficult to understand on top of the 
issue that the band was so into that number. Like, they were jamming. Yeah. And so it was just really difficult to hear. We took our mom and our aunt with us. They're both a little bit older. I'm sure they love us saying that on the internet. <laughs> but they leaned over at intermission. They're like, are you, guys, are you girls having trouble hearing this a little bit? And we agreed, you know, especially with those last couple numbers. Bad Idea as well was one where the band was a little too loud and the accents, we couldn't really hear them yeah. and understand what the, they were saying. Yeah, because for those of you who don't know the show well, during Bad Idea, the entire company is on stage doing a sequence of clapping. Mm-hmm. I could hear the clapping perfectly. The clapping was on point and amazing, but I could hear that more than I could hear the actors playing Jenna and Dr. Pometer. And that's the big, you know, Jenna and Dr. Pometer have their big kiss, you know. That's when they first start coming together they first start eh, yeah. wink wink <laughs> so yeah it's a, it's a big part it's it ends act one and so it was kind of like a what 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 happened you know I, I agreed with you know the older people in the audience who had a little bit of trouble mm-hmm. but really I guess you know that's quote the worst part of the show it was mm-hmm. a pretty good show then yeah what do you think is your favorite part of act one act one ooh I mean, I love Don and Ogie's story. I think, you know, it's it's the nerdy girl. She's never had a boyfriend. She's super shy, so I identify with that. It kind of reminds me of my marriage to my husband, Dylan. He is the extrovert and I'm the introvert. I just kind of sat around and waited for him and then he found me. <laughs> we did not meet online and bond over Revolutionary War reenactments. What do you think of the criticism then of people saying the whole premise of never ever getting rid of me is her saying, I don't want to date you, leave, and him being like, nah, I'm going to stay hard it is creepy it's creepy uh yeah you bring up a good point because the first time i listened to the cast album before we saw it in cleveland and i kind of listened to it again to get excited for waitress in akron Mm -hmm. and i will agree the premise of the song is so creepy but it's so catchy it's kind of like that third eye blind song semi-charm kind of life like Mm -hmm. it's about doing hardcore drugs but it's like do 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 and like super happy and exciting it's like yes ogie's stalking me but dang is it catchy Okay, that was a great analogy. Well, thanks. Also, one of my favorite characters, Nurse Norma. This is a Nurse Norma stan account, okay? This is. Her <laughs> part is so small, but it's so funny because she's saying what everyone in the audience is thinking, like, why are you sleeping with your pregnant patient, Dr. Pometer? You're married. But also she's like, this girl keeps bringing pies to the office, so I'm going to support it in that I sense. condone your adultery because you bring me sweets. Or you bring him sweets that he then gives to the staff to keep us quiet. Because he doesn't eat sugar, yeah. which, you know, that that's your first red flag right there, Jenna. He doesn't eat sugar, red flag. <laughs> Uh, so the, yeah, the first the first act really there's a lot of fun songs and mm-hmm. it really establishes the story. You find out, yeah, Earl is just the he's worst, the worst, the worst. I feel bad for any actor who plays Earl. In our show, it was Sean W. Smith. He did a great job. He, he did. Yeah, he plays a great job playing a jerk to the point where like he got barely any applause when he came out because you know you never want to clap for the villain. No, he got lots of applause every time he left the stage. Yes. <laughs> That's how good he was at playing the bad guy was that every time that he left the stage, everyone in the audience was like, oh, oh thank, thank goodness. <laughs> thank goodness. He's done. <laughs> He's off stage. Go divorce him, Jenna. It was very funny. I skip, may skip ahead a little bit, but mm-hmm. you know, the end of the show when Jenna finally kicks Earl out of her life, you would have thought that like... Gene Simmons walked on stage or something because of like I, don't know, I, I, was, I was trying to think of Mick Jagger 
<laughs> Gene Simmons from Kiss. Where on earth was Gene Simmons? <laughs> stored in my memory bank somewhere, Julie. Um, I'm try- I was trying to think of Mick Jagger, but you know, I'm thinking like a rock star walked on stage. You would have thought that like a rock star walked Why on stage you because just say rock star. I don't know. <laughs> now everyone's gonna be like, this girl secretly just watches Gene Simmons Family Jewels in her <laughs> spare time. <laughs> That's a blast from the past. Oh my goodness. You're the one who brought up. Gene I did. I take complete. Okay, sorry. Back to what you were saying. <laughs> Um, but yeah, at the end of the show, when Jenna finally leaves Earl, you would have thought that a rock star walked there on stage because of the ovation that happened. I thought people were going to stand up because they were so happy that Jenna finally took control and left this guy. Yeah, that was probably one of the strongest aspects of this show is the actual acting. You felt so bad for Jenna, especially around the she used to be mine part of the show when... Yeah. Earl finds the money that she's been hiding for the entire show and she has to lie and say, oh, I got it for a crib for the baby. And you watch him shove the money in his pocket Ugh. and say, cool. I wanted to walk on stage and punch him. Like, yeah, the acting was so strong in this production. Oh, and I yeah. think it helped to make up a little bit for the fact that some of the songs you couldn't hear as well because the acting helped fill in the gaps of what you missed during yeah. the songs. You may not have been able to hear the music perfectly, but you heard the book perfectly. Yes, I think the one really big issue I have with the show itself is the ending. Yeah. It's very rushed. Sorry, spoiler alert, if you have not seen Waitress and have not read the Wikipedia account or anything, skip a little bit ahead here because we're going to ruin the ending for you in three, two, one. Okay, the end of the show. Yeah. Joe, the man who owns the diner, who's kind of a sarcastic little bit of comic relief during the two acts, he dies. But and they kind of rushes death. Like he he goes in to get like what like a, a surgery. surgery. They said a surgery, and then all of a sudden he he's she, just dead. He's just dead, and apparently he knew he wasn't going to make it out of this undisclosed liver surgery because he gives Jenna a card and says open it later. So he knew he was dying, but we had no indication up to the point in that show mm-hmm. that he was sick. Besides the fact that he was an old man, he has a whole song called Take It From An Old Man in Act Two. But then it goes from like zero, like, oh, I'm the old man who owns the diner and everything's PG Keen to I'm leaving you the diner. It's yours now, but I'm dead. Goodbye. Yeah. And that's kind of how it is. There's two spotlights on stage. Jenna just has gotten out of the hospital from having her daughter and she's reading this and all of a sudden the guy who plays Joe tips his cap, the light goes out and Joe's dead. And yeah. there's no by joe <laughs> there's no like really emotional reaction from jenna that this old man who she's grown so close to yeah. throughout the course of the show is all of a sudden gone she kind of just holds the card close she, to her heart and like looks out into the spotlight like and then the music goes dun 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 and dun. then she runs off stage to do her quick change yeah and it it just went from like a hundred to zero very quickly and then all of a sudden it's like we're in the new pie diner and everything's peachy keen zero to deceased real yeah. quick <laughs> zero to dead real quick i think that's my only issue with the show is that the whole build-up to her being in the pie competition mm-hmm. takes an act and a half and then that's taken away and then all of a sudden it's like oh but the solution to our problem the catharsis is like a 30 second thing but we're gonna kill off the old man that everyone has just grown to love okay he's gone let's not even acknowledge it really the show's over bye and at the end as well she comes out and you see that the diner is changed to lulu's pies lulu is the name of jenna's child that mm-hmm. she has in the second act really cute like the waitresses don't have to wear those like 
grubby diner uniforms. They get to wear whatever they want with these cute little pink aprons. Mm-hmm. And they bring out the baby doll that was Lulu. Um, I know in some productions, they'll actually bring children on. Obviously. That was a legit baby, Jen. That was a legit baby. It was a legit baby. I thought it was a baby doll. No, it was a very extremely well-behaved baby. Wow. No, because she was sitting there playing with it and the little girl kept grabbing at her. Oh, okay. So that's, oh, I didn't notice that. Eagle-eyed fans will notice that it was not a baby doll. <laughs> okay, well, you, you win this round, Julie. All right. So anyway, besides the fact that I can't tell real children from baby dolls, um, (laughs) she comes out at the end and she has this pie in her hand and there's a ribbon on it. Does that indicate that she won the pie contest? I did not see that. Or maybe 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 I'm I'm, not as eagle-eyed as I thought. Or maybe I'm just seeing things because I can't tell a real baby from a baby doll. No, that's that's a super good question. Um, If you happen to know the answer to that, let us know. We will address that in a future episode. I didn't notice that there was a ribbon on the pie. Yeah, she comes out and there's a big blue ribbon on it. So I'm thinking... Did she go to the pie contest? I I was under the impression that she She was having Lulu at the same time that the pie contest was going on. Huh. Or maybe I just have my timelines all warped up. I don't know. No, I think that's actually a really good question. And if any of you out there happen to know the answer, please let us know. We will give you our social medias at the end of this so you can hit us up. So I have to ask you, if you had to pick, what's your favorite song in Waitress? Oh, my favorite song in Waitress. I think from a point of view where I'm not a super sad, ballady kind of person, I would much prefer a comedic supporting character number to a very sad number saying that though she used to be mine is a phenomenal number it's got to yeah. be at least in the top three it's of the, the show it's the best written number in the show yeah it's by far it shows so much growth of the character it shows so much emotion any actress who plays jenna has to be able to bring it if they for sing that this song and i will say giselle soleil brought it she did that was the best number performed in the show besides i didn't plan it by yeah. becky um that also was a good one but I think Never Ever Getting Rid of Me is my favorite number in the show. Yeah. I go for those comedic numbers. No matter how creepy they are. (laughs) I agree. I do like Never Getting Rid of Me. Um, I think Take It From an Old Man's a cute song. It is. If you have an older person, a grandparent in your life, it'll probably bring a tear to your eye a little bit Mm because when you think about like, I'm even tearing up thinking about it. Like they're talking about their life and things that they learned and things like that. It just, it makes you nostalgic a little bit. Um, yeah, but I, I also love opening up. It's a good it's too. a good way to open your show. It is. What is your opinion on the pie dream sequences? Because I think this is the only other real issue I have with the show. There's too many of them. I agree. I think the couple, like, where the one where she's, like, talking about her husband and she's making fun of her husband in one of the pies, that's cute. I do think in Act 2, there are way too many of the pie dream I sequences. I do. My, probably my favorite pie dream sequence is the one where she's baking a pie with her deceased mother. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah. I think that one's really necessary as well. Yeah, because um, it gives that she's now accepted that she's having this child and what she wants to pass on to her kid. She wants to be a mom like her mom was. Her mom shielded yeah. her a little bit. She'd take her into the kitchen to kind of shield her from the, the abuse that her mother was facing. Yeah, I agree. So, you know, she's kind of resigned herself to the fact, like, I'm raising this baby with Earl, who is the absolute worst, and I'm going to do everything I can to shield this baby from the life it may have, mm-hmm. like my mom did for me, mm-hmm. for a, as long as she could until she finally realized what was going on. But yeah, I do agree. There are too many pie dream sequences it gets a little distracting especially like you mm-hmm. said in the second act there's just so many of yeah, them yeah because they're a little bit fewer and far between in act one so they're a really good comic relief for when something serious is happening 
it gives you that second to like get back into okay this is her dream and this is what's going on I agree I think there's just a couple too many of them in act two although the probably the other best one is the I want to play doctor with my gynecologist pie (laughs) (laughs) and even you know like like I said like the nurse Norma character is consistent throughout the show Mm -hmm. so even at the end she's still giving her zingers I wish Nurse Norma had a number to be quite honest. That actually would be a very interesting number because half of her part is just coming in to steal the pies that Jenna is bringing Dr. Pometer. <laughs> so while they're having relations, Norma's coming in and stealing the pie. Stealing pie, <laughs> like most of us probably would do if the pies are as good as they are described in the show. Now here's another question for you. Now we established, obviously, Earl is complete trash. Is Dr. Pometer a trash man? I mean, he's married... He moved somewhere with his wife and he resents her because his wife's doing residency at the Podunk Hospital in the middle of the South somewhere. Mm-hmm. He resents her for it. Clearly. He he loved his life, you know, in posh Connecticut where he was a gynecologist and yeah, he went somewhere with his wife. He resents her for it. He starts cheating on his wife with one of his patients. Is Dr. Pometer a trash guy? I think he is. At I heart, say that with yeah. a question mark yeah. because they write the character as like the nerdy, lovable guy. As kind of, you know, they try to do this... He's going to be Jenna's savior. But then that's what I love about it being a female production team. Jenna saved herself at the end. She told him, like, you're going to go back to your wife and we're not going to talk about this Earl, again. get out of my life. Like, yeah. I'm taking control. So that, that's one thing. I think if Waitress had even one male on the team writing it, Dr. Palmer would have been Jenna's savior because it was all women. She she is a boss-ass bee and, you know, she is going to save herself. She doesn't need a knight to save her. I absolutely agree. And I think that is one of the ways that you can see this was a female team because it doesn't end with... And then Jenna and Dr. Palmer ride off into the sunset with Lulu together. It's Jenna realizes that she's been using this guy as a crutch and now that she has a daughter of her own, she doesn't need a man to come save her. Yeah. I agree. I think they wrote him as, like, the nerdy character that you hoped, like, oh, maybe he'll leave his evil wife. <laughs> then you meet his wife, and she's super cool, and she's like, oh my gosh, he's told me so much about you and your pies. Like, I'm so happy to meet you. And Jenna sees that, like, no, that's not what this is. She was using him as an escape from her husband, and he was using Jenna as an escape from what he was mad at his wife about. And she goes, you need to figure that out with your wife, because clearly we were just using each other for yeah. what we needed. Like, I, I'm not here to fix you. Exactly. I fixed myself. I realized what was wrong with my marriage and my life. Mm-hmm. I can't do that for you, because really, there's not as many issues in their marriage that we, that you know, is told to us as the audience. Yeah. The only issue was, you know, his wife got a residency somewhere and they had to move, which, yeah. you know... If you're going to marry a doctor, that is something that you need to realize. There's residencies. They don't, if you get offered a residency, you take it. They do a really good job at taking someone who you could look at as really great or trash and putting it into a perspective that makes sense for the show. Because while you're rooting for Jenna and Dr. Palmbitter, you're also sitting there like, he's cheating on his wife with a pregnant chick. Yeah. So I do agree with you where you say that they did it in a way where it makes you root for them, but also you're rooting for Jenna at the end because she realizes that you don't need this. And they bring it up during the show a couple of times too. Mm -hmm. You know, Becky is... She has a husband who, they don't really establish what happened to him, but he basically is an invalid and she has to, like, change his diapers and stuff. Mm-hmm. So she begins an affair with Cal the cook. Mm-hmm. So they kind of bring it up in the middle, like, kind of the ethical things, like, yeah, you know, you're cheating on your spouse, but you're happy and, you know, what's going on? They do address that. The show has a conscience, at least. It's not just, like, adultery for fun, you know? The show does have a conscience, but it also has a large amount of adultery that I don't yeah. think all of us would encounter in normal life 
it seems like everyone at this diner but Dawn, who is in her first relationship yeah. ever, is cheating on who they're with, yeah. which isn't normal. Yeah. But we're also not from wherever this is set in the South, so maybe It sounds is. like it's a pretty small town, so yeah. that they don't have a lot to do there. Yeah. So I guess one last question that there's a bunch of pies mentioned in the show. Which one of Jenna's pies would you want to try? Oh, oh that's hard. I think the one that she brought to Dr. Pometer's first appointment, she had made it mermaid for... Mermaid Marshmallow. Mermaid Marshmallow. That was the first one that popped in my head because I don't think I've ever had a marshmallow pie, but also I might have the biggest sweet tooth on this planet. So mm-hmm. a pie literally just made of sugar sounds like it'd be right up my alley. And also the apple pie that she mentioned. I think you can't go wrong with an apple pie. And if she really is the best pie baker, like everyone says, she probably makes a bomb apple pie. I want Jenna to make all my Thanksgiving pies. I know. Um, I do think the one at the beginning, she says like the deep shit blueberry pie, but mm-hmm. it's deep dish blueberry pie. Yeah. With the bacon in it. I think that sounds really interesting. I would give it a try. I would too. Just to say that I did. That way if I, if it's not good, I'd be like, well, there's bacon in it. Yeah, but I feel the like salty and sweet sounds like sounds it'd be. Sounds like it would be good. Yeah, I'm doing like the Italian hands right now for salty and sweet. For salty, sweet. salty and sweet. What do you guys think? What would be the pie flavor you could try if you could try any of Jenna's pies in the show? And what do you think about our opinions on this episode? Do you agree? Disagree? Let us know on social media. Be gentle. I'm, I'm a sensitive little butterfly. <laughs> but you can find us on Instagram at the.twins dot on dot tour one it's a super simple username to put in that we totally didn't get forced to choose yes you can find us on twitter at twins on tour one a lot easier and a lot easier yeah and you can even find us on tiktok trying to keep up with gen z you can actually see the inside of ej thomas hall i I, we did a tiktok there we did a tiktok there just kind of looking at the scenes and stuff And that is at Twins on Tour 1 as well. We will be back in November with an episode all about the prom. We're excited to do that one. Yeah, that's Um, one. We have not watched the movie yet. We're actually going to do a series later this year in between shows where we review movie musicals as well. So we have not seen the prom yet. We wanted to see the show before we saw the movie. So we held out. It's very fun to compare an actual stage musical to the movie. But yes, we will be back in November with The Prom, which is very exciting. I'm Julie Book. I'm Jenny Book Bradley. And this has been the Twins on Tour podcast. Thanks Thanks for listening.